Nancy Little, uh, Adam Little, who helps with food pantry. His mother went to Altman last night with COVID. She was not doing well. So if you could just keep them in your prayer also. So being January 2nd, I thought for once to actually do one that resulted to the near holiday, for those of you who came on Mother's Day, and I did the prodigal son that had nothing to do with mothers, uh, this should be a little more contextual. Right now we're picking resolutions, and we do that because we've gone into the new year. Some of us are going to look at 2022 and want to bring things from 2021 more than anything into 22. Some of us are going to look ahead at 2022 and want nothing more than to leave things in 2021. And then there's the hope of a new year, which many of us see when that ball drops, we think we can get a new start. So the question that needs to be asked is, what are you looking for a new start from? In 2022, when we talk about new starts and resolutions, we're usually looking to get away from something. The question is, are you looking to get away from guilt, pain, lust, anger, selfishness, the list goes on and on, could be all the above, or you can even add some. Uh, no matter why we are looking for a new start, there is only one way to a new start, and that is Jesus. He tells us in Revelation 21.5, behold, I make all things new. And then he adds something that gives us even more faith in what he's saying, and that is, for these words are true and faithful. That means that whatever you're carrying, whatever heavy burden or concern, it's not on you. Because in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he tells us, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you, is light. Now you might be saying, you don't know what I'm going through. You can't possibly know. And as far as me, you'd be correct. But Jesus does. And he can, because we're told in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, that for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, we read mercy and regrace and we interchange those, but they are two very different terms. Mercy being the withholding of something you deserve, much like punishment at court. Or grace is giving you something that you don't deserve. So the withholding that Jesus gives us is the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. The grace he gives us is the entrance into heaven. He tells us that he came and he walked this earth. We can read in the Gospels that he healed the sick and the lame, made the blind to see. He even raised people from the dead. And we might say, if I could do those things, I would heal everybody. And I can tell you, over the past few weeks, I would be in the same boat with you. But think about the pressures that were upon him. Being 100% God, 100% man, he came to this earth, still God, still man, through kenosis, what it's known as, and he give out, gave up some of his powers 
so that he remained 100% man, meaning he had access to them, but he just didn't choose to take them. That way he could die, he could be injured, and he could suffer loss and pain. And if he could save everybody, he would. And in fact, he made a way too. The problem is, is we are focused only on this life. And he's talking about our eternal life. So Jesus was tempted. Jesus was beaten, crucified, and died. A worse death than any of us will ever have. More suffering than any of us will ever have. And yet he rose again from the dead. So that we could come boldly before the throne of God in his righteousness. And so it will no longer matter what you have done or how recently you have done it if you accept that gift that he offers freely. In Isaiah 1.8 it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now Jesus is offering us the only true new start. But if you're like me, the question you ask is, what if I accept it and then I fail again? What happens if I don't hold that standard? And the truth is, you won't be able to so long as you live in this sinful body. It's only come rapture or death that you will lose that sin nature and put on true perfection. But Romans 6, 10 through 10, or 6 through 10, I'm sorry, Romans 6, 10 and 11 says that for death, for the death that he died, being Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that was a little hard of a concept for me to grab when I first read that. However, what it means is once saved, always saved. Jesus doesn't give you back because of your actions. He doesn't expect you at 100% to do right because he knows we can't. You cannot lose your salvation once you're truly saved. And he proves this in John 10, 27 through 30, when he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So the question is, how do we get into the Father's hand, or how do we get into Jesus' hand? And we go to that famous verse that everybody sees, and before you weren't allowed to hold it up on football games, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that brings us great comfort is probably why we don't ever read John 3 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved and that might if you're like me is rather concerning because that sends doubt might I thought it was a sure thing well that might is not on Jesus that might is on us on you and me just like if I prepaid a ticket for you to get into the amusement park the amusement park is the prize but you have to pick up the ticket at will call. If you walk past will call and don't pick up the ticket and you walk to the gates, they're not going to let you in. You can tell them, I, I have a ticket. Somebody bought it for me. And they'll go, good. 
Go get the tape. The problem with the analogy is we don't get to will call until after this life expires. And there's no going back to pick up the ticket. So we have to pick up the ticket from Jesus during this life. Once we get the ticket, it doesn't matter what we've done, how much the ticket cost. That, that price has been paid and you get in. So the crazy thing that we don't want to talk about is even given our faith in Christ, we don't deserve heaven. And that's a misnomer. If we were to show up on Judgment Day, and for us, anytime from, from when the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost to the rapture of the church, that time period will be judged after the rapture at the Bema Judgment. The Bema is those three-tiered steps that you see in the Olympics when they're handing out medals. That's the same for us. He will not bring up anything bad that you ever did because he already paid for that. You're not being judged for it because it doesn't exist in God's mind. As far as the east is from the west, I will cast her sins away. So he's just going to give you rewards. The Old Testament saints, David and Abraham, they all come back when we return after Revelation 19 in the second coming. However, if we were to come before the throne and Jesus were to say, you don't deserve heaven, I'm sorry, even though you accepted me, he would be 100% correct. And in that new knowledge, we would say, yep, I, I can't argue. I do not deserve to enter heaven. So then how can we as Christians have complete faith that we will be able to get that ticket? Well, because God made a promise. And in his righteousness, he cannot break his promises. And so he gave us a way. Believe my son as your salvation and ask for the repentance of your sins in his name and you shall be saved. And how are we saved? It's through the grace Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, meaning there's nothing you can do other than accept Jesus and his work to get into heaven. All of the greatest things we can ever do with all of the best intentions are like walking into a brand new pure white room with a dripping oily rag and just swinging it around. And we think we're doing just a great job, and he's just sitting there going, no, no, no. Because remember, the Bible says, our best is but a filthy rag, because he is that good, he is that righteous. So then if I can't earn heaven, should I just sit back on my Christian potato, you know, pew potato, just sit back or become a chameleon Christian so I don't have to deal with the hardships of people making fun of me? No. See, James 2, 18 through 20 tells us, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let me try this again. There we go. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now you're sitting here looking at me going, okay, that's a contradiction. Paul just said works are of no good, and James is now telling me without works my faith is dead, so which is it? There isn't a contradiction. We just don't dig deep enough to see that they're talking about two different situations. See, James here is talking about this life. In this life, we have access to build up treasures that we will get in heaven. And 
The rewards we will see are in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And again, we're switching back. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved as through fire. In other words, it is the rewards program for Christians. That is, all of our deeds, everything we think we're earning things, what we don't understand is that God loves us more than we will ever love ourselves. God wants for you more than you will ever want for yourself or anybody else. And so he has stored up for you, before you were ever even created, treasure in heaven. And he wants to give it to you. However, we don't get it until, until we get there. So what he's saying is, is as we go through life, based on our attentions, our thoughts, our actions... We will come before God at that judgment and we will see all of those gifts that he was going to give us go through a fire. If we did good with intentions, they will be gold and diamonds. And as they go through, they will become pure. But if not, they will become things that can be burned up. They will be burned up in the fire. So, how do we get into heaven and know for sure? Because if you're if you sin, you're going to think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But be, do not be conformed to this world. And I love these slides. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewing. Renewing is a changing. We're moving away from one form of thinking to another. When we say repent, it's a sailing term, meaning that as the ship was going one way, they would see danger and they would yell, repent! And it meant to turn as fast as possible, 180 degrees, and sail into safety. That's what we are to do when we begin to fail, when we begin to go down that slide of thinking or something towards sin or temptation. We are to turn and run back to Jesus. So... I think it should stay this time. So now, that's how we know when you see that change in our life, or it won't, when we see that change in our life, in our thinking, and we want to draw closer to God, when we see that change in our life where we can no longer do the old sinful things that we used to do without that feeling of, I'm disappointing him, then you're a Christian. Then you, you're getting it right. Because... Satan's going to show up and tell you you're not good enough. You don't deserve help. True Christians would not do that. You can't actually be saved. That's, that's what the enemy will show up and say. Okay? Because we want to get closer to Christ. And now how does that match up? I said there was a contradiction. James is all about this world. Paul is talking about eternal life. So once you accept Christ, all of your sin is wiped away. You can no longer, in all actuality, towards your eternal resting place, sin again. Because Jesus died for all sin, past, present, and future. Thus, 
once you accept him, all of them, knowing in his perfect knowledge those things that you would do, he already paid the price for all of it. And you don't have to worry about going back. Paul is saying that when you come before God, that's why he never asks you about anything you do wrong, because all he actually sees is Jesus. Now you're saying, okay, good. I can do anything I want. Let's look. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, I believe we're going through 17. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died, for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We should really focus on that part that says we will regard no one according to the flesh. Because what that means is the things that you do in the flesh are gone. Anything you did before you accepted Christ is gone. And so we as Christians shouldn't go, yeah, but I remember when you did this. That's not our place. If God doesn't see them, neither should we. So when that... I forgot 17, I'm sorry. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed, and behold, I have made all things new. You will be transformed. You will be a new creation. So when Satan comes to you, this is my go-to. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That all, I think, should be bold and take up about two pages because that's where you're going to get hit. Uh, yeah, but he didn't die for that. That's, that's too much. Keep in mind, if any sin can overtake the power of Jesus, Jesus is not who he said he was. There is not a sin you can commit, lest one that you don't get into heaven, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not saying you're using the Lord's name in vain. That's not the blasphemy he's talking about. He's talking about you, by the end of your life, not accepting him. That's the only thing. You not accepting his gift is the only thing that can keep you out of heaven. So, does that mean I can do absolutely anything once I'm saved and get into heaven? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. We'll just leave it. So, what that means is, essentially, when you are saved, God covers you with a force field. Now, when we walk and we do things that we know are wrong, God cannot be in the presence of sin, so he just tips it a little. And you might get bit by a mosquito here or there, and you go, well, why are you letting this happen to me? Or, if, like the nation of Israel, we just send to walk away for who knows how long, his hand of protection slowly walks away. It's not that he doesn't want to protect you. It's not that he wants anything or does anything to you. But when that field is gone, the enemy can come in and attack. Repent, forgive, and all of a sudden it comes back. That's what he's saying. Not all things work when you're walking away from God. So our walk with God is kind of like walking through one of the large airports. You ever see those things? It's like an escalator, but it's flat. You get on it, and it makes you walk faster. Well, when you're walking with the world, you're walking with the flow of traffic. The problem is, is that flow of traffic is going the wrong way. When you get on and you start walking towards God, you're walking the wrong way. 
And so as we are walking, it's taking a lot more effort to get where we are going. It's taking a toll. Because at some point, you're going to say, I can't take this. I just need a break. I'm going to take today or a week off. I'm not going to read. I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to relax for a minute. The problem we don't understand is when we stop in our Christian walk, that thing is still moving us away from God. And so you will drift even in a day if you do not continue to push towards God. We are always to be going towards Him. There's a story that I once heard, and there we go, that a man was mad at God one day, and he started yelling at Him, and all of a sudden Jesus showed up, took him to the beach. And on the beach, they saw these footprints. And Jesus told him, these are the footprints of the times of your life. Every moment of your life is in these footprints. So the man's looking, and he notices two sets of footprints, two sets of footprints. But every time he comes to the worst parts of his life, there's one set of footprints. And he looks to Jesus, and he goes, you left me. At the absolute worst time of my life, you left me. And Jesus looked at the man and he goes, no, son, those are the times I carried you. So, that is the joy of salvation, to have Jesus carry you through those hard times. To have Jesus pick you up and make sure that even when you have no strength to keep moving forward, it is in those times that Jesus will show up and carry you through them. That is the joy of salvation, that no matter what this world throws at you, the worst they can do is kill your body, but Jesus has your soul, and that's where you will be. So as we pray, I ask that if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, take a moment to ask him to be. It doesn't matter the words you use. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to recite these words. You just have to intend to accept Jesus came to the earth as man and God, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again, and has the power to wipe them away if you so ask. That's it. And truly believe it. If you do, you got your ticket. If you've fallen away, if you have drifted, and now you want to come back, he's standing there just waiting. I've seen it before. I'd love to see it again. So as we pray, keep that in mind. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this day. I thank you for helping me get through it. I thank you that we would open our eyes and move from buildings and places to seek those who need you. That we would take this new year and this new time and even the struggles, that we would not fear things because you say that there is no fear if we trust that you do all things for our good. We may not understand them. We may not even agree with them in this life. But in the next life, we will understand and know why you did everything. And we praise you for that because we are not the ones that have to get through it. We are not the ones who have to be strong. You call the weak, the humble, the meek. And we ask, Lord, this day that you would pour out your spirit upon this place, these people, those watching anywhere else, and those who do not know you, that they would accept you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll go to our final song.